the Latino Vote Podcast. Today, we have a very exciting program. We're going to talk about the election that occurred all over the country last night, but particularly in Texas, TX34, where Mayor Flores won a race in Cameron County that probably actually should not have won. It's a historic moment in Texas politics, uh, and we're going to talk in depth about that and other races uh, around the country today and the primaries, just some other topics. Always with us, we have one of the uh, brightest two fellows really in the country on, on these issues. We'll start with uh, Mike Madrid. He's wearing the classic Madrid tuxedo black T-shirt uh, coming from uh, California. And, and he, um, of course, always brings tremendous insight. And of course, uh, none other than Chuck Roach. It doesn't even need an introduction, but I am saddened to see no hat, number one and no jacket with insignia on it, number two. This is special election version. You had to get me out of bed. I actually was working, so I didn't get a chance to dress up. <laughs> well, thank you. We called this uh, emergency a taping last night when all hell was breaking loose in, in the border region election. I was texting the guys last night saying, look, uh, what's going on? Mike, let's start with you. You and I started conversation last night. What is going on in Texas, uh, particularly in Cameron County in this race? And how do you see it playing out? Look, this is this is a very significant development. And it's not and the reasons why is many fold. And I think we're gonna have to explore some of these things today, because um, we've, we've gotten into this podcast, and we've been approaching it, I think, with some niceties and kind of exploring the where we agree, where we disagree, what are the mechanics of these races? Um, um, in conversations I've had with, with activists over the past 12, 13 hours or so. And again, some of this stuff was, I was talking with folks at three in the morning in this West Coast, these East Coast folks are up. There is, there is an absolute denial about what is happening here. And denial is the right word. It's this refusal to acknowledge that the Democrats have a really, really, big Latino problem. And it's bigger than any of them um, have articulated or, and I would argue, even understand. So let me let me back up. This is not just about last night. Last night is just yet another example of how completely AWOL the Democratic Party uh, is and how they, they just don't get what's going on. And if I sound a little bit hopped up, it, it's because I am, okay? Because I spent 30 years saying this is this is what's going to happen i spent the last few years burning down my damn career to make sure we could work to help you know save this country by taking on the republican party and to 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 to, to have the incompetence and the disregard it, it's infuriating okay so i'm going to do everything i can to spell out in real basic evidence-driven data, what the hell is going on and how to fix it. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you, the Democrats won't do a damn thing about it and it's gonna cost them control of Congress. So here we go. This district that just flipped has been in Democratic control since 1870. The last Republican who held this seat, or this region anyway, was in 1871. I think the Republican party was like eight years old, okay, at this time. That's how long this goes back. It is the second highest concentration of Hispanic voters for any congressional district in the entire country, okay? It was just won by a Republican woman 
born in Mexico, first time a Mexican-born woman was elected to Congress as a Republican, extraordinarily low turnout. We're talking seven, eight percent, mid to high single digits in a district that essentially won't exist in six months, um, which may be the excuse. And we'll get into this. This may be the excuse that the Democrats are using to say, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Bullshit. It's a very big deal. and I'm going to explain why and why it's a five alarm fire for the Democrats heading into the November elections. But, but I do want to say this, too. Make, make no mistake. I don't care about the future of the Democratic Party. I don't care. OK, I've been being Democrat for three decades. I care about my country and I care about the future of my community. But I damn well expect the Democratic Party, who is always out there with their pronouncements, talking about advocating, working on behalf of the Hispanic community. Bullshit, in the second largest congressional district, Hispanic Congress in the entire country. So the fact that you have now a woman, a Christian nationalist. Did you lose me? Uh, you're on. My you're bad. on. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're hit. I'm, he- I'm hearing you. Oh, we might have lost you that person. Now we lost him. There's Chuck. Yeah, yeah, Mike's on a roll, but you, you had a little break there. So I'm going to go to Chuck. I mean, this is, a, this is the first time, I think, on this program where we've had some fire like this. We certainly have got... Um, varying opinions. Now, Chuck is going to have uh, a counterpoint. I'd love to hear it. Uh, Mike's obviously pretty animated about this for a lot of reasons, but let's talk about uh, your perce- your perspective of of last night and, and where Mike uh, and you might agree or disagree. Well, I agree that it was an embarrassment for my party. Uh, it was an, an total embarrassment, but I think we need to step back so people that are listening understand this super duper complicated scenario last night because it is not easy and it's not easy on purpose this does not give an excuse to the democratic party but for those of you scoring at home this is the texas 34th congressional district under the original lines before redistricting in this district it was about a D plus, there's some argument between D plus 10, D plus 12. It's a safe Democratic seat that underperformed in the last election. I like to think that it's about a D plus eight or nine. Still, super duper Democratic district. Now, they redistricted that district and made it even more Democratic. And the congressman from next door, Vicente Gonzalez, ran in that newly redraw district, which is 80% the same and won the uh, primary without a runoff and is running against the same woman, Maya, in November for a full two-year term. Now, he did not run in the special election because he's still serving in the district next door. And they took 200,000 Democratic voters from the 15th and moved them over into the 34th to make it more Democratic. So this district is not as Democratic. And there is some more misinformation on Twitter out there that I saw from some folks. If you look at Ballotpedia, Joe Biden only got 51.1% of the vote in this district in November of 2020. Still not making an excuse, but just drawing the parameters. This is still a D plus seven, eight, nine, 10 district, it will become more democratic, which is part of the, the, the democratic narrative for why nobody paid attention to this and nobody spent any money. 
What I've been hearing around town is we knew we might could lose this. We didn't want to waste a bunch of money on a seat that somebody was only going to hold for six months because this is a safe seat leading into November. Now we can tear that apart. I know Mike is chomping at the bit to talk about that, but I think it's really, really important to understand that this district is much different than what it will be in November. That does not make an excuse that we should lose in a special election. We all talk about this, that in a special election, low turnout, anything could happen. Whose base is motivated? Gas is $5 a gallon. Joe Biden is underwater. All the Mike Madrid things are true. But let me make one point, and I'll kick it back to y'all to, deep, to dive deeper, because I made this point on Twitter this morning, and this is the most important thing for me. I'm from Texas. I'm wearing a hat from Tyler, Texas. This is the local turkey smoking place in Tyler, Texas. I have forgotten more about Texas than most of the consultants in this town because I've just done it for 30 years. I worked for Ann Richards and the campaign for Dan Sanchez had a white campaign manager from somebody who wasn't from Texas, a white media consultant from California, a white male consultant from the Midwest and a white digital consulting. Nothing against white people. Again, my mother is white. I'm drawing a conclusion that Mike Madrid said this district is 87% Latino and the second most Latino in the country. And Democrats can't find a few Latino consultants that can even work in a race. Now, is that the reason he lost? No, it's a number of things that Mike's fixed to tell us. And I'm going to tell you why we lost, but you need to keep this in perspective. When you hear me and Mike talk about cultural competency, whether it's D or R, it means something for us to sit there knowing that it's going to be a special election doubling down. I just reviewed every mail piece that she put out. I just sent it to Mike and Jason an hour ago. If you read the first six pieces, you wouldn't even been able to know that she was a, De- a Republican talking about standing up for our community, the American dream, getting our economy back on track, all of that. Like, anyway, I digress, but I wanted to start the conversation to say Brown consultants matter. And this is another reason and evidence of why they do. Before I go back to Mike, and I I do want to have more conversations about this. I want to ask you, Chuck, uh, look, you guys wear consultant hats. You've been around enough candidates uh, that you uh, really understand this, um, the logistical and the political issues. But let me ask this straight up. Was this also a function of the qualities of the candidates? I mean, I, from what I'm seeing from, from Republican side, you know, Mayra had a very appealing story. She's from the region. She has a good background. She's obviously uh, uh, active in her community. Uh, you know, a strong candidate who focused focused on kitchen table issues. I I don't know much about uh, Dan Sanchez, um, but, you know, was that, was that, was that, how big a role did that play in this race? It's campaign 101. Let me say it before Mike jumps up here and says it. Vela or Vicente kills her in that special election because they have name ID. People know who they are. This ain't Mm. as much about messaging in my humble opinion as that. No, he's never run. Nobody knew who he was. He had been a County commissioner back in the day in Cameron County. Cool. Uh, people don't talk about Vicente winning this primary in the new district, and he spent a million dollars. And Mike Madrid, you should know this. It's the same media market. So all of the millions that's been spent on Vicente for him and against him had been spent in this media market. So everybody knew him. So moving next door wasn't a big deal. Nobody knows Dan Sanchez. And this woman ran in the primary and ran last time. She had name ID and had built a base of support. And, And look, the Republicans were spending money for her. So if it doesn't matter to the Democrats, because you guys are so damn smart, I don't mean you guys, Chuck, I mean the Democrats, the Democrats committees and the, these, these consultants are so damn smart 
why are the why are the Republicans making that investment and picking up these seats? Is it to just win the short term narrative? Hell, it's, it's that the- alone. If, if that alone is all it is, that's a big victory. I mean, we're sitting here wasting time talking about this because it is the second largest Hispanic congressional district in the country. And this is why I'm pissed off. It's all of these excuses the Democrats are going to make. Don't belie the fact that in the second largest Hispanic district in America, you can only get 7% turnout with your base votes. That makes Nancy Pelosi look really bad. That makes uh, the Democratic National Committee look really bad. That you know who makes it, who, you know who really is devastated by this? Beto O'Rourke. And let me tell you why. Because Beto, if he's going to be competitive, is going to have to significantly overperform in districts like this to win a state like Texas. Significantly, folks. I'm talking plus 30, plus 35. Okay. Biden, yeah, only carried this by four points. You know what? It should be a plus 40 points for Biden. And this, this the reason why it's not isn't just a messaging problem, although I think it's a huge part of the problem, as I've said over and over, and I will continue saying this, it's because there is no infrastructure. There is no infrastructure. There's been no investment. How the hell do you think you're going to win statewide in Texas as a Democrat without significantly overperforming overperforming in Latino precincts? You're not. You can't. You're not even winning them anymore, let alone overperforming. You're losing, and he, it, this is not new. This has been happening not for weeks, not for months. This hemorrhaging is a national phenomenon that has been going on for a very long time. So you you you, you bring something up that I think is important: the low turnout, seven percent. We, we we know the reasons why in Texas, or we have some ideas. Last week, or maybe it was the week before, I know California had an election where there was also low turnout. Is this systemic, right? The low turnout issue, and clearly in Texas, it was a special election. So that right there is going to limit turnout. But I think we're seeing this around the country. And I think it's primarily on the Democratic side. Is this a Joe Biden effect? Is this something that's happening um, because of other uh, political issues. What's what's happening uh, with that? I want to hear both Mike's and Chuck's answer on this one. Well, look, I think that it's it's what we always say. So over 30, 40, 50 years, if you look at it, everybody will say that there, there's drop off in and off your election. This is true. Is there a low turnout in every special election? Absolutely. But it's the margins that Mike talked about that are the real differences here, right? Like there was a spike in 08 with Barack Obama. There was a spike with Donald Trump that nobody ever talks about of him bringing a lot of new crazies out to vote who had never voted, right? There was a spike in the off-year election. This is the most important thing for me to tell, especially my fellow Democrats. In the 2018, there was a spike with Democrats because they were so angry that Donald Trump had beat Hillary Clinton and they showed up in mass who normally don't vote in off-year elections. Girls and boys, put on your big boy and girl pants because I promise you Republicans are hacked off that that Trump didn't make it. There's energy out there because gas is at an all-time high and because of the things people are living through that there's going to be a spike with Republicans. There is in every poll that I'm working in, again, this is what makes this podcast different. Me and Mike are working on races all over the country. I get to see polling every single day. And there's a phenomenon happening everywhere, which is a low enthusiasm. 
How do we get Democrats? Are we going to use uh, the choice issue? Are we going to use the guns, Uvalde? Like we keep going around in the circle and talking about all these things, but we're not talking about what's going to get or energize Latinos. So the turnout will be lower. It's always going to be lower, but you're going to look, there's going to be a spike in 2020. I'd be interested to see if Mike agrees with me. Mike, turnout? Turnout is a very, very big problem, and I think that this is one of the things that Democrats really don't get about the Latino vote, is, is what they have relied on is this belief that because, especially in states like California and Arizona, and up until very recently, Texas, up until really the 2020 cycle in Texas, the Hispanic break, the Hispanic voter was basically breaking 75% for the Democrats, 25% for the Republicans. So they thought they could just demographically wait and there would be this takeover of the country, right? That's the Roy Teixeira memo from 20 oh years ago. Oh my God, ago, yeah, that's right. Demogra- say, yeah, saying demographics is destiny. Let's just wait and let's just wait till Latinos have more kids and we'll win this in the maternity wards and it'll ultimately over, you know, come up, show up in the ballot box and, and we'll beat the Republicans that way. Well, Roy has basically backed that off because he's realizing, oh shit, there's a, there's a bigger demographic problem, which is this education divide, which I've talked about at length. But here's, your, here's, here's the answer to the question, Jason. Low turnout is a very big problem for Democrats, not for the reasons they think it is, but it's now becoming a problem in the actual vote break towards Republicans. And here's why. If you can't motivate your voters to show up it means you don't have a message or a policy platform worth voting for. Let me say that again. And everybody listening, write this down and let every Democrat you know on social media drive this home. You cannot rely and have these very low turnout midterm elections anymore and expect to be competitive as a national party or competitive in holding the the House of Representatives and increasingly in the U.S. Senate. You need to start developing a policy platform and a message that Latinos actually respond to. You've had a 20-year lucky break of of Latinos being anti-Republican in just enough key states to to let you skate. Those days are over. Because we're going to talk about Nevada in a little bit, too. As bad as Texas was, you guys got a bigger problem. Democrats have got a bigger problem in Nevada, okay? And and, and turnout isn't just a, a mathematical problem, although that's very significant, obviously, in the outcomes of races. The bigger problem is when people don't show up to vote for you, it's literally a sign that you're not selling anything that they're buying. And you cannot rely exclusively on anti-Republicanism to help you. Those days are gone. The the Democrats have run that out. That well is dry. There is no more blood in that turnip. If you don't start focusing on a blue collar, working class, work with my hands agenda, you are going to destroy your party and you're going to bring my country down with it. And I resent the hell out of that. Chuck, if you were in charge of the entire Democratic Party, and these races around the country, um, what would be the message that, or the messages that you would utilize or the tools that you would utilize to A, increase turnout and B, increase enthusiasm? Because I think Mike's right in the sense that uh, we are seeing low turnout. I know that the Democrats have the, the internecine battles that Republicans have usually had 
right, left, left, right, progressive, non less progressive, whatever. But what are the messages that are going to work? And will the Democrats be able to get their act together um, and utilize these kind, those kinds of messages to, to bring people to the polls? I, you know, I, um, I disagree with Mike here about halfway, maybe three quarters. And, and I think that I disagree on this point is that in focus group after focus group where I'm running focus group talking to Latinos, Latinos, when you ask them about raising the minimum wage, Democrats for Republicans against all in expanding Medicare, Medicaid, biggest government control, whatever, as long as we have more health care and that Republicans are in the pocket of big pharma, they're with big corporations. They hate that, right? Democrats align with Latinos there on public school and all these other things. Like there are nuances with all of this, but in the overall messaging, this is the part that drives me craziest. Latinos are with Democrats on everything. I proved that with Bernie. They liked an old white guy from Vermont who was like, Medicare for all. Uh, let's give away, do away with student debt. Let's do $20 minimum wage. And they were all in in a big way. It's a Democratic primary. Y'all sit down and shut up. I understand it's different. But the bottom line is, I think that the, that's not as much about us not showing up with our message as not showing up. I think that's a bigger point. And some of the messaging has some effect, but it's not enough to like kill us forever. A, Republicans now are starting to show up, even half-assed, just showing up helps a whole lot. And then B, it exposes what Mike said. This is the part I do agree on, which is the underbelly of the inefficiencies of the way that we run program in a district that now is 40, 30, 50% Latino that we've never, I almost said effing, uh, we've never freaking had before because we would compact all the Latinos in these super D districts. Well, now our population has grown outside of those where we spill over into other districts and we're still as House Democrats. And I wanna make a big difference here between House Democrats and Senate Democrats don't know what we're doing. We're in the Senate, they realize what Mike Madrid just said. They've been running Spanish ads and building a Harry Reid type, type on the ground infrastructure in Nevada, because guess what? What Mike said about Nevada is true. And they've been spending millions of dollars in bilingual communication in Las Vegas now for two and a half, three months because they realized it. The same thing they're doing in Arizona for Mark Kelly. You can pull the media buys. Democrats have outspent Republicans in just Spanish language advertising 50 to one in those two states. And they have things on the ground happening by funding groups on the ground that I'm actually working with that are doing good work. That's the good news for us. The bad news in the House is in the top 25 congressional districts in America, there's not one single Latino manager. In the top six Latino districts that are 50-50, Florida 27, Texas 15, Colorado 8, New Mexico 2, California 22. These are memorized in my brain because it drives me crazy. They do not have a majority Latino owned. No Latino owned male firm, media firm in districts that average 50% Latino. This is the big difference between what you're seeing in the House, in the Senate. In the Senate, they're like, oh, shit, we got a problem. Let's figure out how to try to fix it. And let's pour a bunch of money at it to get started with and then figure out what we did right or wrong. When the House is like, well, let's do the same shit over and over like we've been doing and hope for a different result. Yeah, look, uh, um, and again, this is this is one of the I think these helpful differences where I agree a lot with Chuck uh, with what Chuck is saying. But let me let me let me let me show uh, explore some of the differences a little bit more so that listeners can get a sense of, of the different approaches that Republican and Democrats takes to this. The first thing is I mentioned that they've got a middle-class working class problem. I think Chuck would agree with that. The first response Chuck gave was, we need to raise the minimum wage. That is not a middle-class solution 
folks. There is nobody in America making minimum wage that is the middle class. That is an anti-poverty program. That is different than the blue collar working class party. And I support what he's saying. And I'm not trying to be denigrating to it because he's right. There should be a policy framework for that. But don't go into middle class households. Don't go into somebody who wants to make 80, 90, $110,000 a year in blue collar rural rural America and say, we want to raise the minimum wage. It's out of touch, man. It's out of freaking touch. And, and, and the solution for people who are, are losing sleep, staring at the ceiling at night, thinking about how without my college degree, I can go and, and, and make enough money to buy a house or, and send my kids to college or maybe take a vacation, right? And relax a little bit with my family. The answer is never, oh, you, you know what I need? I need a $400 tax credit from the government to make that happen. Nobody is thinking that. Like that comes out of weird lefty think tanks in Washington, D.C. from a bunch of progressives who haven't been blue collar people, if ever, in 30 or 40 years. That is not how the working class, the blue collar worker in America thinks. And that is, again, a sign of how far removed Democrats are from what should have been and could be a base of support. So real quick actionables here. Because well, this is this is what I'm getting is well, what do we do about it? What are the answers? Again, I've been talking about this shit for 30 years. I'm sorry, I'm just pissed. Okay, I've been talking about this for 30 years, and I'm I'm just I've had it with people saying that's not actionable, that's not real world. The hell it's not. It's 90 percent of the reality of where Latino voters are at and have been for 30 years, and it's the polling that they've been telling us for 30 years. So let's start with the, the hot button here, immigration. Let me break it to you, okay? Let me break it down for you, Democrats. Myra Flores, this Christian right-wing nationalist that just got elected in the second largest Hispanic district in America, is probably closer to the mainstream of border security than, 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 one of the, than the Castro brothers are, who, who are basically advocating for open border policy. And, and don't take my word for it. Take the voters of that district for it. Take the entire Rio Grande Valley's vote performance for that to learn every immigration reform proposal, every single one on the table. If it begins with increased border security, you are in line with the majority of Democrats, not Republican, Democrats. You are in line with the majority of Latinos who support that. That is not crazy. That is not racist. That is not nuts. That is freaking common sense for a country that wants to defend its borders. How you implement policies after that, let's debate that. But let's take this damn issue off the table now because it's certainly not helping you as Democrats when you don't have a good response for that. There's one. Two, you wanna talk about abortion? All I hear all the time is, oh, you're all Catholic. You're all socially conservative. That's bullshit. There is no data saying that. There has not been since the mid 1980s. Nobody can show me a poll of Latino voters saying the majority of Hispanics, Hispanic Catholics support uh, a, a pro-life position. That does not exist. If it did exist, you would see the right wing playing it out more. It doesn't exist. So it starts talking about those issues through a Latino lens. Gun control. A lot of the gun control issues are, are split the way that is with the rest of America. Okay, you've got urban Latinos 
who have pushed for very stringent gun control laws, especially in states like California, the first state in the union to push back on Saturday night specials headed by Senator Richard Polanco going back to the 1990s. Why? Because it was Latino kids getting shot in gangs. But that doesn't excuse the fact that there are places like Bakersfield in the Great Central Valley in California or the Rio Grande Valley where everybody's got a rifle or a shotgun in their pickup truck. There is a way to do this in a constructive, meaningful way that speaks to people where they're at. That's an actionable. Get the hell outside of your partisan orthodoxy and this demographic bubble that seeks to continually find a concentration of white progressive ideas to solve brown working class problems. You all are in trouble. Your house is on fire. You are in danger. You're going to lose control of Congress and you better get your act together quick. Chuck, you have unique perspective here because you I, you have self-proclaimed being a working class blue collar, but you've also self-proclaimed a, a Bernie uh, progressive. So you, you're, you have feet in both of these camps. Um, is Mike right? Uh, and what are, what are the issues as you see them? Uh, and are they different than what the ones that Mike identifies in, in a way that if you utilize those issues, um, you could win back some people that you might be losing to Republicans? It, it has to do a lot with how we run campaigns, which is a big point of all of this, right? If I was to ask voters in Brownsville, Texas today, what's their most, they wouldn't say half the shit Mike just talked about. They ain't gonna talk about guns. That ain't their number one issue. Not saying that Mike said it was number one. Just like they're not gonna say abortion is number one or why I'm going to vote. It's the same thing with me and my grandkids. Like my number one goal in life, I'm an old man now or older gentleman, is that I wanna make sure that my grandkids have something, right? Nobody in my family had any wealth. I'm the most wealthy person in my family and I ain't got that much money. And I gotta take care of my son and my mama, and a lot of other folks, because that's what falls on the most successful person in most Latino or Hispanic families, right? What you do to make yourself, you know, Mike Madrid says lots of things that don't make any damn sense, but he also says some shit that y'all all need to understand. And that when you said that I have a working class background, dude, like Mike Madrid teaches college and I've never been to college. This is the biggest difference here. Right. I went to work in a factory, not that Mike never didn't work anywhere. I'm saying, but I personally experienced going to a payday lender to buy baby formula for my kid when I was a single parent at 21. I know what it's like when my truck got repoed, when I was an organizer, when I couldn't make overtime at the factory. You know, those things, not because my skin is brown, make me a good messenger when I'm out riding ads because I remember what that pain felt like. The thing that Mike said that made the most sense is when he talked about little clutches of liberalism, and I'm in a lot of those, is that there's not anybody making our ads that are that close to when the pain happened. Now, their mom and daddy probably felt that pain or their grandparents were a factory worker. All of these people talk about it, but there's nobody in my side of the aisle who doesn't live out in the suburbs and have, you know, kids go to private school. They make millions and millions of dollars and they're making the same damn ad that they've been making. But guess what? As the Latino population has grown, they haven't changed the way that they make these ads or ask the same polling questions. So when I'm in the room, I get ostracized as somebody who's trying to cause trouble because I'm saying this ain't really what our people care about. We don't want to talk about the immigration or the wall. We want to talk about is is education going to be the ladder for my kid to make it to actually be in the middle class? Cause I never was. That's the biggest difference. And, and it's, it's just shown in the leadership 
of the party apparatus. Like I do give credit to the Senate campaigns who are trying to do something while the House has said they don't want to work with me specifically or my campaign, my, my consulting firm specifically, right? Because they don't want to hear from another voice who disagrees with what their poster or media consultant who used to be the executive director of that committee has to say. Let, let me, let me, let me, this is, that's a stroke of brilliance here. And let me, let me add a little bit more if I could, Jason, because uh, Chuck is, is exactly right. And I brought up abortion and gun control for a very specific reason. The Democratic Party is banking, holding on to the midterms on those two issues by appealing to white suburban women on gun control and abortion rights. That is a necessary part of the equation. But if they do just that, they're going to lose. That's the lesson of last night. You have to have a Hispanic economic, blue-collar, working-class agenda combined with that. You need those Lincoln Project, Republican, college-educated white women in the burbs, and then you also need stronger turnout and a good vote break of blue-collar Hispanic uh, workers, which is where that economic agenda, and Chuck and I think we'll probably both agree on this, it's that jobs agenda, it's that making ends meet at the end of the month, it's that pay the rent agenda that is how you talk to working class folks. This is this is where the Democrats have a real big effing problem because so much of the Democratic Party is viewed as an enemy to the industries that are the fastest growing blue collar Latino job spaces, construction, manufacturing. Um, um, go down, gas go down the in list. Texas. All they are hearing, and rightfully, yeah, there you go. Right, you go to the oil patch, and, and, and all people are hearing is, yeah, the Democrats want to put us out, and they want to get rid of you know the, the combustion engine, and they want to um, you know ban fracking, and they want to um, you know get us off of oil, which means get you out of a job in the next two three years. There's no amount of government program that is going to convince people that putting them out of work is going to somehow ameliorate or be a better decision. Like that, 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 shouldn't, be, that shouldn't be controversial. It shouldn't be something you can't figure out. And if it's not either or, by the way, because we've got to save the planet, and I, and I agree with that, and climate change, and we need to do something differently, that is your, your Democrats, that is your burden to make that case. Because this green job stuff, that shit don't sell. Because it ain't true, by the way, okay? And it certainly doesn't work and sell, and it's not believable with blue-collar folks in those industries because it isn't true. There has not been a solution for that. So if you're going to solve the problem for yourself politically and address climate change and start building a working-class base, you better you know, roll up your sleeves and sharpen your pencils and get to work and start talking about these issues differently than you've been talking about for the past 25 or 30 years, including expanding your policy matrix, or you are going to keep losing. That's an actionable, by the way. That, that's your job, okay, is to go out and figure that out, to work within your current constituencies to start making yourself a working class party again. 
Chuck, I want to give you the last word. I want to I want to wrap this up. We've got a lot more to talk about, but we can do it on another episode. But you know, there's I hear some consensus here. Um, I I think last night was a wake up call for really uh, both sides. Democrats obviously because they lost a race they shouldn't have lost, and Republicans because I think based on the Twitter that I received or the tweets I received this morning and the texts are very excited uh, about the upcoming midterms for some of the reasons uh, that were identified in today's program. So the, today was fire, right? We're, we're, really, um, we're really talking about issues deeply in a way. I think that most consultants and certainly not on the, the television or cable stations are talking about. You guys have such great insight and I really enjoyed uh, today. But Chuck, uh, where, uh, where are we headed from here, man? Look, I think that today, and you know, I'm glad we put this together at the last minute so we could take this on. Uh, I think people need to understand that Texas 34 is not Nevada 3, it's not California 22, it's not Florida 27. They're all heavy Latino districts I just described, and they're going to perform a little bit different than Texas 34. So you should take them all individually because there's all different issues that motivate the point that Mike made that this is a precursor of what he's talked about and what I've been talking about because everything came together last night where me and Mike and thank God I go to bed early so I didn't have to be on the, the with them all night where they were tweeting back and forth or texting back and forth is what two things the Mike Madrid analogy of oh my God how are you burying your hand in the sand Democrats this is a problem and then the Chuck Rocha being able to literally say when I, people come at me all the time, why are you talking about Latinos and consulting and what does consulting mean and staff? Like I'm trying to create a space for the next generation of Latinos, whether you're a Republican, Democrat, I hope you're a progressive Democrat like me, you care about empowering those blue collar workers to make a difference. But this is the next step. This is a wake up call for everybody in both parties. And we Democrats, you st it's June. For God's sakes, it's June. You can start spending money and, and write this ship right now. But last night was a moment in time that we should all learn from, not bury our heads in the sand, not say that we're going to win. I'm tired and sick and tired of accepting the bare minimums as victories. Are Democrats going to win more races and have the majority in more places? Yes. But when are we going to be tired of just having the bare minimum when, as Mike said, we should be winning these districts by 20 or 30 when we align on the issues, when we're trying to do program, but because we can't get our head out of our own butt sometimes or get out of our own way, we get what we got with. So all of you look forward to considering this conversation on Twitter, tag me and Mike, make sure that you log on to the podcast. Me and Mike are traveling to Chicago next week, where we're going to be doing this podcast from the Naleo convention. Guess what? With the room full of Democrat and Republican Latino elected officials, it's going to be fire. It will be. Give me your uh, Twitter handles, guys, so people can follow you on Twitter as well. Follow I think Mike's Twitter. is, go ahead, yeah. Mike. Isn't yours bald Mexican at bald Mexican? <laughs> I actually have a full head of hair. I choose to shave it and keep it going. Oh, nice. uh, follow me on Twitter at Madrid underscore Mike. Love to get your feedback. You can, you know, most of y'all tell me I'm crazy, which is great because I know you guys are at least listening now after decades of saying this. Um, follow me there. And Chuck mine is at Chuck Rocha, R-O-C-H-A, hashtag Brown Consultants Matter.
<laughs> and you can always reach me at Jason Vialba, J-A-S-O-N, V as in victory, I-L-L-A-L-B-A. Look forward to seeing you next time on the Latino Vote Podcast. It's been a great show. Uh, check us out on our other episodes, and we're going to have some more content for you soon. Have a great one. Look forward to seeing you next time.